Uh, good morning and welcome family. It's so great to receive messages from you telling us who you are and where you're joining us from. So please keep those rolling in the comment section. Uh, next week is Easter and we'd love for you to join us. So stay tuned after the service for details about our Friday and Sunday services. We have something planned for the whole family. Right now, let's lift our praises to Jesus Christ as our resurrected King. Let's fill the city with the songs of heaven. Our joyful noise makes the darkness flee. And as we praise Him, we establish a place for His glory. Let's join the angels as we really come to worship. Our lives abandoned to the Father's call. With a hunger to see Jesus lifted high over all. Cause our worship changes atmosphere. That's why we'll never stop praising you. And if you turn the clock ten thousand years, you still find me here before your throne. Let's fill the city songs of heaven our joyful noise makes the darkness flee and as we praise him we establish a place for his glory let's join the angels as we really come to worship our lives abandoned to the father's call oh with the hunger to see jesus lifted Our worship changes atmospheres That's why we'll never stop praising you And if you turn the clock ten thousand years You still find me here before your throne I'll open up my heart now I'll let you into my deepest part And as you change me from glory to glory I'll understand more of who you are I'll open up, I'll open up my heart now I'll let you into my deepest part And as you change me from glory to glory I'll understand more of who you are And the more, and the more I see you The more I grow to love you So many reasons to pour out my praise And as I worship the atmosphere changes As the King of Heaven is enthroned in this place Cause our worship changes atmospheres That's why we stop praising you and if you turn the clock to th- 
So I'll never hold back from you Cause you never hold back from me I'll never hold back from you Cause you never hold back from me So we'll, so we'll never hold back from you Cause you never hold back from us So we'll never hold back Cause you never hold back from us. Isn't that the truth this morning? Man, yeah, come on. <laughs> that the Lord never hold, holds back from us. And as we're in this place today, just to, I would say, welcome his presence. You know, wherever you are in your home, uh, welcome his presence. Bring him in, bring him into your space because he's so gracious. He so wants to say, open up your heart to me, give your heart to me that I can actually come in and fill a space. And so we pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you come and move in our homes today? Would you come and move in our hearts today? Oh, how we invite you in. There's a, there's a river flowing from heaven. And it's available all the time, 24-7. It's open. And so we come and drink of that river. Say, come, Lord, flow. Let your presence flow in our hearts, flow in our homes. You know how much we need you. I need you, Lord. We need your presence. So come, flow among us, move among us. Holy Spirit, so delighting you. Love is alive. 
song is wow just that yielding to you lord we yield to you to your spirit oh yes lord your spirit lord surrendering our hearts to you this morning
the old Lord. We want the new fire. We don't want to carry the old. We don't want to carry the wrinkles. We want to carry the news. The refreshed. Living. We want to carry the new, whatever it is that you have in your hands. We want that, we want that, we are for you, Emphasis on today. Lord, we don't want to wait before we say, I surrender and yield. I don't want to wait for this fresh fire. I'm asking you now, Holy Spirit, come and work in me. Come and burn away the chaff. Come and ignite a passion for you and your presence. We need this fire, this river, this grace of God in our lives. So open our eyes to see, Lord, what you see. Open our eyes.
today. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we exalt you. We lift up your name. What a joy it is to know you, to be your children, Father. And thank you that you are our rock, our stability, the light of our lives, the one that we look to in every situation, and the one that gives us hope and provides us with meaning and purpose, Father. And we just want to say we love you and we worship you and we praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. So great to be with you this morning. And uh, right now we want to worship the Lord with our tithes and our offerings. So as you have purposed in your heart to give, won't you get that ready and just follow the prompts on the screen. Uh, and uh, again, as I always say, just want to say thank you for being such an amazing community, so faithful in your giving. Uh, it really enables us to do not only these things, but so much more that we are able to do as a church and as a community together. So thank you for your faithfulness in your giving. Today we are coming to the end of our series that is based on the book of Acts. I know we haven't worked completely through the back of book of Acts and that really was never the, the, the idea. Uh, we, we had a certain topic that we wanted to lift out of the book of Acts, which was about this wave of the gospel that began right there with the, the early church at Pentecost and the empowering of the Holy Spirit that enabled the gospel to spread throughout the world. And uh, today I want to, to bring that story to its sort of climax and its conclusion by focusing on one of the major characters of the book of Acts, and that's the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to spend our time in Acts 27 and 28. So I want to encourage you, if you've got a Bible with you in any form, won't you turn to Acts 27? And I'm not going to read a lot of the scriptures. I'm going to talk through it. Uh, but I want to just, it will be great if you can follow along and just read even to fill in the pieces that I perhaps don't mention. Uh, and so that you can see the, the scripture around that. And um, just again, I want to go back and you'll see on your screen a, a little image that will come up now. And it's an image that shows how this wave of the gospel moved from where it started in Jerusalem and in waves, expansion waves, as it's called in this graphic, moved to the, to the, to the uttermost parts of the earth, as Jesus said. And these waves, as we see it in the book of Acts, we see these three expansion waves. But if we had to follow church history, you'd see more and more waves. And even today, this wave of expansion of the gospel is continuing, not only in our world, but in our societies, in our cultures, in our communities. The gospel is continuing to spread and expand. But in the book of Acts, we have these three expansion waves. The first expansion wave we see in chapter 1 to 7, and that's the gospel established in Jerusalem. Then the second expansion wave, chapters 8 to 12, is the enlargement into Judea and Samaria, and when the gospel moved beyond Jerusalem. And then from chapters 13 to 28, we see the expansion of the gospel that went expanded to the ends of the earth. And last couple of weeks, we've been speaking about uh, particularly around uh, Acts 9, 10, 11, and that breakthrough that happened in the gospel that moved beyond the Jews and into the Gentiles. And if that didn't happen, the gospel wouldn't be able to go to the ends of the earth. And, and one of the main characters or 
possibly the main character that in the book of Acts was responsible for spreading the gospel beyond the Jewish communities was Paul. And Paul lived this amazing life of commitment to the gospel. We know Paul's story. First, we meet Paul as a persecutor of the church, the one that actually wanted to capture and kill Christians because he considered them to be blaspheming against the scripture and against the Jewish tradition and faith. And then he meets God on the road to Damascus and he, he gets saved. And, and a whole process begins in his life where he's first in Jerusalem, then he gets taken away. And, uh, and, and, and eventually he comes back and he's set aside by the church and the leadership of the church to go and spread the gospel. And so he traveled. He had all these missionary journeys that he traveled and went and spread the gospel throughout the, the then known part of the world, Asia, Asia Minor, and took the gospel beyond uh, where it's, it's birthplace and into Gentile communities. Um, and then we start picking up our story here today uh, when Paul gets arrested when he's back in Jerusalem at its stage. And he gets arrested because the Jews are accusing him of um, blaspheming and defiling the temple because they say he brought Gentiles into the temple and so therefore he defiled the temple. And so they arrested him and a plot was hatched to actually kill Paul. And so the Roman uh, government at that stage wanted to realize that this plot was against Paul and that it was, he wasn't getting a fair trial. He wasn't getting justice. So they actually had him sent away from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And that's where we pick up what is going on in Acts 27. And I want to read with you Acts 27 verse 1 to 2. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to the centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we were put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. So Paul is sent to Caesarea from Jerusalem, and he actually spends two years there. And uh, being kicked around because, first of all, when he got there, the, the governor was Felix. And Felix was uh, disposed towards Paul and wanted to help Paul and make sure that Paul get a fair trial. But he was quite quickly replaced by the next governor, which was Festus. And Festus, on the other hand, inherited this problem of Paul. He didn't really want to get involved. And so his idea was to send Paul back to Jerusalem and say the Jews have got to deal with it. And uh, obviously then that would put Paul in, in, in danger and he wouldn't get a fair trial. And then the plot that was against his life for the, by the Jews to kill him and the Jewish leaders would actually be able to be executed. And uh, so at that point, it's that Paul uh, appeals to his Roman citizenship and it's his right to, uh, to make his case before Caesar. And so he says to them, I want to appear, be, appear before Caesar. And so he spends time in Caesarea. And uh, like I said, after two years, he is then put on a ship, as we read here, to go to Rome and to put his case before Caesar. Now, in terms of timeline, this is AD 59. So AD 59, if you think AD 33, somewhere around there is when Jesus was, was crucified and, and, and resurrected from the dead uh, and the early church started. Uh, this is, you know, 26 years or so, 25, 26 years later, AD 59, that Paul is now on a, on a road trip a massive trip towards Rome. And, you know, when we read the scripture today with our modern experience of life, we don't often have a, a good idea of what it meant for Paul to travel to Rome. And, and when he says this amazing thing where he says, look, I want to appear before the Caesar, we think, okay, that's great. But we don't know the cost that he had 
to do that. And ultimately, Paul's motivation was not to have his case heard before Caesar for his own life's sake, but so that the gospel could be spread. And so what I want to do today is really work through Acts 27 and 28 and tell you the story of the journey that Paul went on to go to Rome. And I'm going to do that not by reading the scripture, but I'm going to tell you the story by going to a map. And so on the screen here with me, I have a map that uh, outlines this more than 3,600 kilometer journey that took roundabout. I, I, I couldn't find an exact uh, time measurement for it, but if, I, if they started in autumn of AD 59 and they went through the winter, it could be that it took about six months for this road trip to be completed. And, and here they started in Caesarea, as you can see there. There's Jerusalem, and he was taken from Jerusalem to Caesarea uh, to be put before the governor. And uh, then as he appealed to go to Rome, he had to go from Caesarea all the way to Rome, as we see there. And that's, like I say, three, more than 3,600 kilometer journey. And the way they did it at the time is they went by ship. And so Paul was put on a ship with Roman guards and two people that accompanied him. The two people that accompanied him was Aristarchus, this Macedonian man, and Luke. That was the eyewitness that recorded the story for us. Luke, the physician, Luke, that uh, acted as an historian in this situation. So the three of them is put with uh, this uh, a, a, a group of soldiers, an imperial regiment under a guy by the name of Julius. And they put on this on a ship. And they sent off to go to Rome. Now, what we must understand about the ships of those days, because perhaps you're thinking, okay, yeah, Paul goes and he's put in a nice cabin. And uh, now he's put to sea and he's going to, you know, take a, a nice trip towards Rome. Now, there were no passenger ships in the day that purely carried people on trips. What they did is they made use of commercial ships. And... Um, Ships that were traveling for some form of commerce and that would often take passengers uh, for a fee. And uh, somewhere it's said that whole, this whole trip possibly cost around 600 denarii for Paul to be able to go on this trip. Because when you went on a trip like this, you had to supply your own food. You had to supply your own bedding. Everything you needed, you had to give and take with you. And then you were taken onto the ship and you slept on the deck. There were no rooms for you. You slept on the deck. And uh, so Paul was put on this ship, you know, had some food, him and Aristarchus and Luke with them. Obviously, they couldn't take the food that would last the whole journey. You know, they didn't have uh, freeze-dried food or vacuum pack, vacuum-sealed meat or biltong. You know, if they only had biltong, life would have been so much easier. They didn't have any of that. They could just take for the first couple of days some fresh provisions with them. And uh, then they would have to find provisions along the way. And uh, so they put on this ship and they, you can just imagine it's these wooden ships. Some of them were quite large, uh, but this particular one that they were put on were probably a smaller ship. Um, and they were put on the ship and uh, there they had to go find a, a you know, piece of the deck and go roll out their bedding. And that's where they would sleep. And whether it's raining, storms, whatever, they were out there in the elements. So, you know, it makes me think of so often when I have to travel somewhere to, you know, to to go and share with people or, you know, do the work of the ministry and share the gospel in different places. I can feel so persecuted when, I, when I'm not a, don't get bumped up to business class. You know, when I'm sitting there, 
in economy class and my knees touch the, the chair in front of me and I have to eat the food that they give me with a plastic knife and fork and I can't stretch out at night and sleep and there I'm on an 11 or 18 hour journey towards you know, Europe or America somewhere or you know, wherever and I can feel so persecuted. I can say, Lord, as a child of the King, as a servant of the gospel, surely I deserve to fly business class. Forget business class if you think of what Paul went through what he did, and not just for 11 or 18 hours, for months and months on end, they were on this ship, not really comfortable. And he was a prisoner. So at least at the beginning, he probably wasn't treated all that nicely and all that kindly, but here they are. And so they set sail and they set sail from Caesarea and they had a quick stop over at Sidon um, as we read the scripture there. And uh, what happened at Sidon is that there were some people that uh, wanted to see Paul and Julius at that time was already, you know, he liked Paul and he was positive towards Paul and therefore he allowed Paul to see some of the people that came and, and wanted to see Paul when they heard that he was coming to Sidon. So they, they re refreshed them and gave them some more food and things. And, um, and Paul was allowed to visit with his friends, and, but they were only there for a short time. And then they started off again and they went from Sidon to, to Myra. And you can see here on the map that they went around the island of Cyprus. Instead of going this way, they went this way. And that was because the, the weather was starting to turn against them. And they were starting to experience that the winds were not good. Um, the scripture says in verse 4 that they sailed past Cyprus because the winds were contrary. The winds were moving in the opposite direction. They, they wanted to go this direction and probably the wind was coming from over here somewhere. And I'm, I'm feeling like I'm some weather person at the moment, you know, some meteorologist or something on a TV channel. I'm not. So, but the wind was moving in this direction and, and to be protected against the wind by the island of Cyprus, they sailed around Cyprus and uh, this would made their trip a little bit longer. And then they, they went to Myra. Um, in Myra... They actually changed ships. And that's why I said they, from here to there, they probably sailed, or from Caesarea to there, they sailed in a smaller ship. But when they got to Myra, they changed ships and they, they got onto what it was called an exalia, exa, <laughs> sorry, Alexandrian grain ship. A, a grain ship that was quite common in those days. We actually have other historical references, a few, that talks about these Alexandrian grain ships. These were grain ships that came from Egypt, right there in Alexandria, and would cross over the Mediterranean Sea. And depending on the weather, they would land at a place like Myra or some others that they would go to. And, um, and they would be making their way towards Rome to actually go and deliver the grain that Rome needed. And this was a, a big industry. Um, there's even mention in some other historical records of the fleets of grain ships that went from Alexandria. And some of these were quite large. There's the one ship that is referred to in history called the Isis, and it, it could carry up to 600 passengers. We know from the scripture that this ship that Paul joined here at Myra could hold 276 passengers, or it could have held more, but on, as they were a total of 276 passengers that were on the ship, plus the grain and all the provisions and everything that it carried. So it was quite a, a larger ship. The challenge was at this time is that they were coming towards the end of autumn by now and starting to enter winter when it became very dangerous to travel over the Mediterranean. In the winter time, the winds picked up and the storms would lash 
the Mediterranean seas. And there would be particular winds that would blow and make it really difficult to travel. And that's why they wanted to go on a larger ship, for instance, and to be more secure. Um, it, many people chose not to actually travel on the sea during the winter time. But it, when grain needed to be delivered, there was a risk worth taking. Because if you were taking your, your goods, your wares, like the grain ships over the sea in the winter time, you would be paid extra. And the, the ship owners could actually make more money when they did it during the winter time. Because everybody understood it was more dangerous, but Rome still needed grain. And other cities still needed grain and food and provisions given to them. So they would pay extra for that. And uh, the ship owners were quite prepared to take the risk because, A, they generally weren't on the ships themselves, and so it was no risk to them personally. They, the people that were on the ships, uh, particularly the, the grain ships, were generally Egyptian slaves or people of a poor class that couldn't afford not to take the risk. They didn't make their money any other way. They had to take the risk of being on the sea. And uh, generally they had insurance, quite expensive insurance, but the ship owners had insurance and, and normally had more than one ship so that if they lost a the ship, the insurance would cover the cost, they, they'd still come out okay. So it was worth for them to take the risk. So this was one of those ships that Paul joined in Myra. It was one of those ships that said, look, we're prepared to take the risk and uh, we're going to go and deliver grain, even though it's coming to the winter time. And uh, so there we see Paul gets onto the ship here at Myra. And then the next bit we read of the journey is they moved from Myra to Cnidus or Snidus. I don't know how you pronounce that place. But um, that actually was a, took a number of days because when they went there, uh, the, the, the scripture says in verse 7 to 8 that the, they sailed for days slowly um, because the, 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 good, the good sailing time of the year was past. They were sort of in the in-between, just as the, the summer breeze and good sailing weather was coming to an end and they were now getting ready for the winter storms to come. They were in that little piece of land and actually then from Snyder's moved to Fair Havens. But it took them quite a long time to cover that reasonably short or relatively short space of time. And it's during this time in, on this trip here from Myra to Snyder's and then from Snyder's to Fair Havens. Um, and you can understand why that place was called Fair Havens because it, it was it was a little bit covering from the winds that particularly during that time of the year started blowing from the northeast, the, the strong winds, and we'll read about it just now. Um, and therefore it was called Fair Havens, but it was a small town, it was a small harbor. And it's on this trip that Paul started warning them and saying to them that there's danger ahead. And in verse 10, Paul says, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Uh, and he started saying to them, guys, we, we're starting to to take risks here. This is not reasonable risk. But now Paul was a prisoner. So when they made uh, uh, harbor, took harbor here at Fair Havens, which was a small town, didn't have a lot, small harbor. Um, the, 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 the ship's captain and the, and the, the Roman uh, centurion realized that this is not a great place to spend and wait for the winter to, um, be, to move on before they move on, to have shelter and wait out the winter, the couple of months to wait out for the winter storms to pass. So they made a decision to move to Phoenix. And uh, Phoenix was a bigger harbor. It was a safer place. It was a bigger town, could give them more provisions. And there were more entertainment. I'll not tell you what kind of entertainment. Naval ships were 
uh, you know, interested in, but there weren't obviously a lot of that in Fairhaven, it's a small town, but there was more in Phoenix. And um, so they wanted to move from Fairhaven's to Phoenix. And it's at that point that Paul said to them, no, don't do it. Let's stay at Fairhaven's, wait out the winter and then move on. But these guys, driven by their desires, uh, didn't listen to Paul and the Roman soldiers and the captain of the ship actually convinced them to move on. And so they set sail to, sh to, to go to Phoenix. But as they did that, the winds picked up. And um, the, it became really difficult for them to sail. Um, they, they, as they were taking sail from here, and look, they, they wanted to actually just do a short little trip from here to there. The wind started picking up, and this wind is in, in Acts 27 verse 14. It's called the Euroclidon Euro, Euro Euro um, wind that blew from the northeast. And, it, and scripture says it blew right across this island and it started hitting them and started causing them to drift off course. And that's why you see their course actually went instead of going around that island of Cauda and to Phoenix, they started going on here. And, this, and the wind really picked up and, um, and it started causing them much trouble. And they actually had to give attention to the ship. And at a point here, they had, to, they had a little lifeboat that they would pull behind them. That was, you know, the, the, the rescue ships. But also when they, you know, were needing to go into a harbor or something, they would go with the small ship first. And they had to actually haul that ship in and that little lifeboat and put it on top of their ship and uh, to secure it. And they actually had to tie ropes or chains around the bottom of the hull of the ship to make sure that it held strong, which was evidently quite common activity of the day. And they were really starting to feel the, the tension here of the storm. And, uh, but they kept being blown into the open sea. And, um, and for many days, 14 days, they were actually carried over onto the sea here. And uh, at some point, they, they started fearing that they were actually heading for Africa. And can you see here, it says the sandbanks of Sirtis. It says in the scripture that they were fearing that they were going to hit the sandbanks of Sirtis. Because they could see the direction that the wind was actually blowing them. They were getting far off course. And for 14 days they were experiencing this. At some point they, they let down the anchors to try and slow the ship down. And they did various things. They started throwing the, the grain overboard. And even some of, the, uh, you know, some of the provisions they started throwing overboard. To keep the ship from being dragged by the storm. And blown by the winds towards the sandbanks of Sirtis. And this happened for 14 days. And on the 14th day, Paul spoke encouragement to them. He had a visitation from an angel, the scripture says, during the night. And the angel came and told him that, Paul, you're going to be okay. The ship is going to get shipwrecked, but not, there will be no loss of life. The 276 people on this ship will not die. There will be a shipwreck. There will be trouble. But I will protect you. So Paul gets up and he, and he calls everybody on the ship together and uh, amazingly, Paul, remember, he's a prisoner. He's, he's the lowest person on that ship almost, you know, him and the slaves. They are the lowest people. But he's able to, by then, he's probably already gotten some favor. They, they've seen the character of the man. They, they've, they've observed him. And so he's able to call the whole ship together. And he says to them in, in Acts 27 from verse 21, he says, listen, guys, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. 
He says, Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men. I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain land. So Paul says to them, Come on, guys, you haven't eaten for almost two weeks because you've been so worried and you've been so buffeted by the storm. By this time, they're probably around here somewhere. And Paul says to them, come on, sit down and eat. And what he actually does is he takes bread, he breaks bread, he prays over it, and he shares the bread with all of them. So an amazing scene right there. In the midst of the storm still going on, he says to them, come, let me feed. He takes care of their physical needs. He ministers to them. Then he gives them a prophetic word, the word of encouragement. He shares with them, we're going to be okay, but we have to run aground, guys. We're going to have to run um, our, our ship to ground, but we're going to be okay. And... Uh, so that night, as the scripture says, of the 14th day, they actually find themselves close to the island of Malta and still don't have much control of the ship, but they start recognizing they're going to ground. They, they do depth sounding and they start recognizing they, they first of all, they see the 120 feet depth underneath them. Then they measure again. It's 90 feet, as the scripture says. And so they're recognizing and then eventually they start seeing land. And so they put the sails up and they, and they, they go for it. They're going to go and try and get this ship to beach on the, on the sand and to be able to, so that they can be rescued. But unfortunately, they hit some, some rocks and sandbanks before they get onto the beach. And it's at that point where the ship breaks apart and they have to jump into the water. And so you see them jump into the water. And remember, many of them couldn't swim. Most of them couldn't swim. And so they cling to you know, wood pieces of the, of the shipwreck. And they get carried over and uh, all miraculously, just as Paul prophesied, as the Spirit of God, the angel said to him, all 276 people get on shore safely, onto the shore safely, and they are on the island of Malta. And the scripture tells us here, and this is where we now get onto Acts 28. And as they get onto the island of Malta and lying on the beach there, you can imagine exhausted, you know, traumatized, shocked. Um, the islanders start coming and seeing these people and they take pity on them. The islanders were kind to them. These islanders were seemingly nice people. And so they made a fire for them and they started feeding them and they started looking after the people and giving them a safe place. Um, even though it was still rainy and cold, the scripture tells us the islanders started making, gave them a warm welcome and uh, put them. And it's at that place where this amazing event happens where Paul now uh, wants to help and he's trying to help build the fire for them and as he's picking up firewood a snake comes and bites him and the snake attaches to his arm and uh, the scripture tells us that it is a poisonous snake now today there's no poisonous snakes in Malta but we must remember that's 2,000 years ago and in 2,000 years many species die out and the island of Malta is much more populated than it was then and built up. So the snake probably doesn't exist there anymore. But in those days, there was a snake that bit Paul. There was a poisonous snake. And everybody that saw it of the islanders then believed that Paul is a cursed man because he's a criminal. And they knew he was a criminal and they thought he must be a murderer. And this is the final judgment that even though he escaped and, and survived this arduous journey and escaped all of the storms and escaped the shipwreck. Now he's on the beach to be killed by a snake. So he must be somebody 
that God has something against in their mind that that is cursed by God and he's going to die. And uh, I can just imagine Paul having survived, if, if it was me, having survived this shipwreck and now I'm on the beach breathing deeply. Finally, everything seems to be okay. Then a snake bites me. I would have gone, really, God? Really? You know, I'm your servant. I'm a child of God. Surely, you know, I don't deserve this. But the amazing thing that happens is Paul gets bitten by the snake and the scripture says it actually hangs on his arm here, but it has no effect on him. He doesn't get affected by the poison, actually shakes off the snake and um, he's fine. He doesn't die. Then the people are like, okay, perhaps he's not a murderer, but he's some special person, perhaps even a God. And then suddenly they want to give Paul a lot of attention. And it is told us in that time that, that Paul got opportunity to begin to pray for the sick and to look after the people uh, in that place. There was a man by the name of Publius, the chief man of the island. He was the first citizen of the island, a man of importance, probably had some Roman office or stature. And, um, and he, was, he, he, uh, he took Paul into his, and, and some of the others into his home and um, he entertained them for three days and looked after that. And during this time, um, Paul began to do these miracles and the, he started with Publius, this man whose father had a fever and was ill from dysentery and Paul prayed for him and he was miraculously healed. And then the, the scripture says in verse 28 verse 9, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So <clears throat> revival broke up. Amazing things happened right there on the island of Malta. By God's providence. They were never supposed to be on the island of Malta. That was not in the ship's log. That was not the journey that was to be made. They were probably going to go from Phoenix around, you know, here or some other place or Syracuse perhaps. But Malta was not a place that the ships would often stop at um, unless they came from this part of the world. And uh, so by God's providence, God does something and the church is planted in Malta. Paul just does what Paul does. He shares the gospel. No matter in what circumstance, no matter when, what trial and challenge he faces, Paul spreads the gospel. Nothing stops him from spreading the gospel. But they stayed there, I think, remember the scripture says three months, and then they were sent off. When the winter was now finished, um, there was another ship that came into that harbor, and so they were put on that ship to now go to Rome. And the, the rest of the journey in the scripture is told to us quite quickly, um, as they sailed from Malta to Syracuse um, uh, and then to Regium. And uh, along the way, we'd continue to meet some people. Um, and uh, here at, um, at Regium, they actually met some fellow believers and they spent seven days there where they were allowed by the, the, the Roman guards to stay there for seven days. And, uh, you know, because by then we see the Romans were very positively disposed. I forgot to say that, that when they were here just before Malta and the ship was now, you know, being going to shipwreck, the soldiers believed that they, they were afraid that the, once they hit the beach, the, the prisoners would escape. So they actually wanted to kill Paul and the others that were with him and other prisoners. And the Roman centurion stopped them because he by then had seen the, the kind of man Paul was and, and had, was, was positive towards Paul and actually saved him. So that continued on when they got to Regium. They allowed him to actually visit with people for seven days and be refreshed and looked after. And uh, then they moved uh, from Regium over to that place, Puteoli. And um, from Puteoli, they went to Rome. And um, 
when he got just outside of Rome at a place called the Three Taverns, along the way even he would meet people at the Three Taverns. Quite a lot of people came to meet with Paul and uh, just because the word of Paul spread everywhere that he was coming. And so the believers were so excited to see him and help him, refresh him, look after him, but also receive from him. And uh, Paul was greatly encouraged by them, the scripture tells us, and then ultimately he goes to Rome. And when he gets to Rome, the, which was called the Eternal City, or it was also called the mistress of the world, the hub of the universe, the ruling head and beating heart of the world, were some of the words that they used to describe Rome. Paul was now at the place where he wanted to be. So one of the things he did is he called the Jews together in the city and called a special meeting with the Jewish leaders. You know, he doesn't learn his lesson. That's the whole reason he's on this trip, because he spoke to the Jewish leaders and got in trouble in Jerusalem. So now 3,600 kilometers later, almost six months or somewhere in that direction later, he does the same thing again. That got him in trouble there, he does here because he's got a job to do. He's got a mandate. He's got to do what the Jesus commissioned them to do. And so in Rome, he calls the Jews together and he starts sharing with them the gospel. And he tells them about the Messiah, that is Jesus, and about the kingdom of God. And it says for a number of times and one particular day, they started in the morning and they reasoned right through the day and into the night. They would reason with Paul. And the scripture says some believed and others didn't believe. But Paul ended up staying in Rome for up to seven years, awaiting his trial and then in house arrest uh, in Rome. And uh, so you go from Jerusalem to Caesarea through this arduous trip to end up in Rome to be in prison, all for the sake of the gospel, of spreading the gospel. Now, why am I telling you this story? Because as I read through the story and as I just looked at it again, it just made me realize the, the value, the importance of our calling as the church of the Lord Jesus to spread the gospel. And Paul became in the New Testament, other than Jesus, the most important character of the New Testament. Not only does he feature so much in the story of the New Testament, but he wrote so much of the New Testament. Because he spent so much time in prisons, he had time to write and write these letters that were sent from Rome. He wrote a few letters from Rome and other places like Ephesus where he wrote. He would be able to write these letters from, from his prison and from house arrest. And those letters would go all over this part of the world at that time. And it's those letters that form for us the, new, the basis of the New Testament, and particularly our theological understanding of who Jesus is, how God's kingdom worked, and, and what our role and responsibility in it is because of this great man, Paul, and what he did. But he did it at great personal cost, at great cost to himself. I, 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 I love the, the way Romans, uh, Acts of the Apostle in chapter 28 ends. And uh, just the last verse that I want to uh, read for verse 30, it says here, For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense, at his own expense. And I think those are words that need to penetrate our hearts. And that's why I'm telling you the story. And that's what I believe we need to carry on as we bring this journey through the book of Acts that we've done and this series of move with God in the book of Acts that there's a privilege that we have to pay the cost for the spreading of the gospel. I know we live in a day 
where so often our understanding of scripture and our experience in church is all about the blessings that we can get, all about the wonderful things that God does for us. And, and those are true. I, I, I don't want to say and, and belittle that or, or say that we can't have an expectation that God can bless us and that God has good things in store for us. But I do think we have to also understand from a story of the life of Paul, for instance, and others. Remember, every one of the disciples had similar stories. But Luke was an eyewitness to this. And as you read the story, you can see how impressed he is with Paul and this man that Paul was. And he, and, he, and he records for us this willingness to give everything at his own cost for the sake of the gospel. What caused Paul to do that? What causes a person to be able to do something like this? Remember, this was by choice. Paul was an experienced sailor. We'll read just now. I mean, he has been shipwrecked a number of times. This, he, he didn't do this naively, saying to them in, in Caesarea, I want to see the Caesar. He knew. The, the challenge he was putting him, the, the, the danger he was putting himself in. He knew the personal risk that he was taking, but he knew the gospel had to go to Rome. If the gospel didn't find a foothold in Rome, it would not be able to spread to the rest of the world. It needed to go to Rome. And at his own risk, he did that because he believed in the gospel. What makes a man be able to do that? And I think there's two things that I want to say that we've been highlighting. And that's first of all, it's because he loved Jesus. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And as he got to know Jesus, this Jesus that he first persecuted, this Jesus that said to him, Paul, why do you persecute me? He fell in love with this Jesus and he loved this Jesus. And he recognized what this Jesus did for him. That nothing he did no 3,600 kilometer journey, no shipwreck, no being beaten, being left for dead, being stoned would ever be comparable to what Jesus did and the journey Jesus took by leaving heaven behind, leaving his throne and coming to earth and journeying with us and being beaten and crucified. Nothing would compare with that journey. And he loved Jesus for it. He loved that Jesus was prepared to do that for him and for others. And it's that love that opened his heart to say, Lord, how do I love you in response? And so when he did these things, it wasn't him paying back to Jesus what Jesus did for him. There was no, it was not a sense of indebtedness. It was a sense of, wow, my heart has been opened by what Jesus did for me. The scripture says we love him because he first loved us. Because Jesus loved Paul so much, Paul was prepared to do all of this. And then the second thing is, so the first thing, his heart was opened by receiving the love of Christ. Secondly, he was empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit of God then took this willing heart, this open heart, and empowered this heart. And empowered this person, like he did with others, and like the Holy Spirit can do and does with us today. He empowers us to go, to share the gospel, to not allow the gospel to be restricted. As I end, I want to read with you 2 Corinthians 11, verse 21 to verse 30. And this is a section where Paul talks about his love for Jesus and the reality of his service for Jesus. And I want you to listen to this. This is not easy to hear. Because Paul was facing some judgment. Paul was being told by many of the believers of the day that he wasn't really an apostle, that he wasn't worth listening to or his 
letters worth reading that Paul wasn't really a leader in the church. And a lot of that was being said because of how much Paul was suffering. People were looking at him and saying, surely if you had the favor of God and the blessings of God on you as an apostle, you wouldn't suffer so much. You're suffering because there's something wrong with you. And you can just imagine what Paul must have looked like by the time he arrived in Rome, having been shipwrecked so many times, beaten, left for dead. I mean, he had scars. He, he was beaten, man. He, he, he probably hardly, you know, walked upright anymore in, in, the, in the natural unless God touched his body. We don't know. But he, he was beaten, man. And the scripture says he wasn't the most eloquent speaker. And for all of those reasons, people looked down on him. And they looked at other apostles and they said those were the super apostles. Those were really the guys to follow. And those guys had the fancy suits and the expensive shoes and traveled first class and, and, and you know, had the, the message that encouraged everybody. And everybody looked at those guys. A lot of people looked at those guys and said, wow, those are the guys to follow. They... Look at them. Look at their stature. Look at their blessing. Look at the, you know, the donkeys they drive. Look at the, the, you know, the houses they live in. They really have the blessing of God. Paul is not really a guy to follow because look at him. Look at what he looks like. And therefore, Paul has to defend himself. And he, and he says the following. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to, to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. He says, look, I've got the same pedigree as those guys got. I have worked much harder, he says. But this is the difference. I have worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. And been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. That means drifting on the sea, you know, like swimming around. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone with, often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. He says, you say I'm weak. You say, because of all these things that I'm suffering, that there's something wrong with me. I'm telling you, I am not weak. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that shows my weakness. He says, I'm nothing. My life, it's the privilege of my life is to live for Jesus. Is to show who Jesus is. If I'm weak, then he is strong. If, if through my weakness and my suffering and my struggles, he can be made known, he can be glorified. If through my hardships, others can get to know who Jesus is, he says it's all worth it. That's no wonder Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For him to die would have been so much easier. But he said, I have to stay because so that people can know Jesus. Wow, what an attitude. What a heart. What a man. And I want to encourage us today. May the Lord strengthen us. May we know his love. 
May we know how much he loves us and our heart be opened by the love of Christ. What Christ has been prepared to do for us, to die on a cross. May that open our hearts so that we are prepared to say, here's my life. I give you everything I have. And then may we follow Christ. Not every one of us in our followership of Christ will have to be beaten and shipwrecked. But I think it must be the, the heart that we have that says nothing will stop me from serving Christ. It's right that when we go through difficult times that we come and we bring those before the Lord and we say, Lord, why is this happening to me? This doesn't feel fair. But we can do that because our heart is fully committed to him. That when we go through things that like Paul, that's not fair, that's not right, that, that our, it doesn't change our hearts. We can wrestle with it, but it never changes our hearts and our commitment to the Lord Jesus. That's why Jesus said, blessed is he who persecutes, is persecuted. And may we in these days and times and whatever we are going through and whatever you are facing, whatever the challenges we are experiencing in this world at this time, may the gospel of the Lord Jesus be advanced. Pastor Letzolo said it last week. The main reason historians say the gospel was able to, in 350 years, reach more than 50% of the population of that world. And just remember now how difficult it was to travel. There's no internet. There's no cell phones. There's no phone calls. How difficult it was, how arduous it was. The main reason the gospel was able to be so effectively spread was because those people did nothing stop them from sharing the gospel. In Revelations it says, and they loved him at the cost of their own lives. And the blood of the lamb, they overcame the dragon by the blood of the lamb, their testimony, and that they did not love their lives even unto death. May we have the same spirit in us, in our generation. It'll look different than this. What God's calling you to do is different than what he called Paul. But make no mistake, God is calling you. And it is our privilege to go and share the gospel. As I finish, can I pray with you? Can I pray that the spirit of God will empower the church of the Lord Jesus in these days so that the gospel will not be hindered, but that the gospel will move and break through every boundary and every obstacle. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for every person that has joined me today for this message, Father. I know this is not an easy message. I know this is not the kind of message that, that will leave people leaving going, yes, everything's going to be okay. God is for me. There's nothing ever going to go wrong with me, Father. But I pray that this will be a message that when we consider it, this portion of Scripture, our hearts will be strengthened in us to say, we are privileged to be servants of the Most High God and that we give Him our lives and everything we have, everything we are, Every opportunity, every moment we give to Jesus and we say, Lord, use us to spread your word, to make you known in this world. We are your sons and your daughters. And thank you that our peace and our hope is in you. So I pray right now, let the love of Christ penetrate our hearts deeper than ever before. May our hearts be opened by the love of Christ. And then I pray for the empowering of your spirit, that open hearts will be empowered to go and to be your witnesses. In every street in our city, in every home, in every mall, in every coffee shop, in every office block, in every school, every varsity, that we will go and be the witnesses of Christ. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being with us for this series. Next week is Easter and we're going to have a great time together. We're going to share lots of time together. It's obviously a wonderful time. We're on the Good Friday service. We have communion together and I want to encourage you. It's been so great to hear about the watch parties that people are starting and, and joining. And to, to join those watch parties and let's have communion together all across the city, all across our nation, all across the world together. We're going to have communion on Good Friday. We're going to have a special service. And then obviously on Sunday, we also have a special time together planned for Sunday. And we'll give you more communication and, and, and details about that. But for now, won't you plan to gather with other believers on Good Friday to have a watch party, enjoy the service with us and to have communion together. So we look forward to seeing you again. May the Lord bless you and may he strengthen you. Please stay online for any announcements that will follow. And also if you want to pray with somebody or reach out to somebody, ask somebody something, please follow the prompts as they are on the screen right now. May the Lord bless you. Hi, I'm Ben and I head up the pastoral team here at Hatfield. If you're asking some major life questions like, is there more to life than this? Who is Jesus? And how can I have faith? Or you know somebody's asking these questions about the Christian faith. We have a course that's tailored just for you. Alpha is an excellent opportunity to explore the Christian faith through real conversations about Christianity. You can visit our website for more information and invite others to join us too. Are you wanting to know more about our Hatful family? Like what do we believe and how do we live out our faith? The Life Changes course is a great place to start. And not only is Life Changes our 101 discipleship course, but it also allows you to become a member of our church family. Again, you can find all those details on our website. Next weekend is Easter, and we're celebrating how God provided for our salvation even before we knew we needed it. We'll meet online for both Easter services, and it will be so incredible to see pockets of believers streaming the service together across the city. Uh, why not consider hosting a watch party with your friends, family, neighbors, or a community group? Or you can join us on site for a watch party right here in the church. Oh, and don't miss our Easter egg drive through here on campus, straight after the Easter Sunday service. Jump in your car and get an Easter egg, and we've got something extra for the kids too. And finally, young adults, there's an Easter praise party especially for you on Sunday evening. It's live, it's on-site, and it's outside. You can get all the information about Easter as well as Alpha and Life Changes on our website. Bye-bye for now.